We all look up to somebody. Philippine society in particular looks up to lawyers as being a cut above the rest. But at the end of the day, they're people just like you and me. They have their own dreams, own ambitions, heartaches, and lessons picked up through the years. Let's look past the titles and see the person. We're back again here at Courtyard by Marriott Iliila. It's time to wake up and smell the coffee. Let's get you coffee in. Attorney Erdin Jose Marie Benjamin Francisco Oriondo Tirol is known for his practice in the legal profession and as the Dean of the University of San Agustin College of Law. He's defended multitudes of clients over his two-decade career and produced hundreds of lawyers. But in today's episode, we get to know him as a person. He looks back at his experiences as a student, a lawyer, and a human being. And he looks forward to the future of the legal profession and legal education. Many know of Attorney Tirol or Dean Tirol. Today, we get to know Jose Marie. Good morning, Dean. Thanks for being with us here today. Good morning, Mr. Fernandez. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dean, you've been a lawyer for 22 years, and you've been the Dean of the University of San Agustin College of Law for about eight years. Mm -hmm. You ask every student who's ever entered the College of Law this, and today I'll ask you this question. So, why did you, at the time when you first entered law school, why did you want to be a lawyer? Well, uh, I did not want to be a lawyer. I was, uh, I was strongly encouraged to become a lawyer by my parents. Well, because my father and his brother and his sister are lawyers. My grandfather is a lawyer. What I wanted to do when I graduated from college in UP Miyagaw was to apply to teach in UP Miyagaw. Mm. Because I did not want to leave the campus. I did not want to leave the campus. But my parents said, why don't you try law school? Consider it as a scholarship. We'll finance your tuition. We'll give you an allowance. Try it for one semester. I said, I'll try it for one sem. Then one sem became two. And when I was in second year, I realized that I liked being in law school. So I said, you know, let's continue this. Sayang. So let's continue this. So I did not want to be a lawyer, but uh, well, I'm now a lawyer. So, you know, for, for better or worse, you know, I like what I am now. My father also strongly encouraged me, strongly encouraged me. So that's why I laughed when you said strongly, strongly. encouraged because... Uh, of course, we know what that means. Mm. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, uh, the story has been... Because uh, uh, I don't think uh, I've ever been in your class specifically. So I, you've never actually asked me this question. Yeah. So I already, always have two answers depending on the type of professor. If uh, the professor is uh, really serious, like uh, the question is... Uh, why do you want to be in law school? I always say, I thought about the most amount of good that I can do uh-huh. with my skill set. I always thought I was articulate, mm. uh, good at looking for solutions, and then good at uh, being able to uh, analyze and uh, see situations for what they were. Mm-hmm. So I thought with the most good that I could do, it would be through law school mm-hmm. uh, or being a lawyer. And uh, the other story is uh, if it was a more fun class. <laughs> Uh, it would be that uh, my father wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, circumstances dictated that he could not pursue uh, a career in the legal profession. So he passed on his dreams to my older brother, uh, Lawrence. He was named Lawrence uh, for Lawrence lawyer. of Arabia. But I also always say that it's because he wanted my brother to be a lawyer. And so when my brother, because of, again, financial 
considerations became a seaman mm. before he became the publisher of Daily Guardian today. Mm. Uh, he became a seaman. So when he became a seaman, my father could not have his lawyer. <laughs> so then he looked at me and he said, you, you will definitely be a lawyer. And so I'm in law school today. In, you know, you remind me of uh, some of the answers that some of the applicants give to me when they apply for admission in the law school. When I ask some of them, well, I ask everybody, why do you want to be a lawyer? Some answer, you know, like you, you know, I have this skill set, I have the talent, I have the this and that. And then I ask them back. So you have the skills, but do you have the heart? You know? Some of them, I, I you know, make a little joke. So are you saying that if a person has... Uh, big uh, breasts, then that person must become a porn star, you know? So, so it, it, it's not just about, you know, what you have. It's not just about this, but it's also about this. Because, you know, uh, especially when you become a lawyer, it's not just about what you know or who you know, but what will you do with what and who you know. And, you know, uh, to be frank about it, I'm very glad that you are in law school and you are also dabbling in, you know, things like this, because we need to get the message across, you know? And the law school is not the only place where we mm. can do that. Uh, this is one good way to bring the message across. To, to Dean, you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> oh, I have uh, no. You know, no, your makeup. You have to be careful with your makeup. Uh, so, 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 you, so you get it. No, this yes, is part of public service also. Yes. What you're doing. And it's also, it's also partly how my parents would always, when we do things like this, I get home, then the first question they ask me, hey, <laughs> just to remind me that uh, I should uh, be training to be a lawyer. But for you, Dean, you always talk about how, and this, is, this has been very consistent in every single speech that I've heard you give in the law school, that it's not about... Uh, uh, I mean, it's about academics, definitely about how smart you are, how good you are at being a law, law student, and how good you will be as a lawyer. But you always talk about uh, being an Augustinian lawyer. What does that mean? Well, uh, being an Augustinian lawyer for me is uh, to be somebody who is not just using his brains, but using his brains guided by his heart, guided by his conscience, or at the very least, common sense. Uh, the motto of our school is Virtus et Scientia, yeah. which is virtue and knowledge. No? So our knowledge must always be guided by our conscience, our common sense at the very least. Because for me, a person who is intelligent but who has no conscience is a very dangerous person. Mm. But at the same time, a person who is full of good intentions but who is not so intelligent is also dangerous because this kind of person could easily be uh, abused. So there must be that right mix of common sense, conscience, virtus, with uh, intelligence. With the virtus always uh, controlling the uh, intelligence. Is this why you, ch you choose to always teach problem areas in legal ethics? so that you can pay special attention to this aspect of the yeah. legal profession. Yeah, that's one of the reasons. And Well, you're my student <laughs> now. Yes. And, and if you will notice, I very rarely, if ever, uh, conduct recitations in problem areas. 
my reason for that is well, the students are already third years. No? They have already adjusted to law school. They do not need to be told what to do. Mm. No, I, I give you a very long list of cases. No, and so the expectation is you you come to class prepared. No, and then what I do is the cases are uh, decisions of the Supreme Court. But I try to supplement these decisions with my personal experiences in the cases I handle, and in my personal interactions with other lawyers, uh, and uh, with the legal community, which which for me uh, is. Uh, theory and practice and especially because of problem areas you know, uh, uh, in, in the bar exams uh, legal ethics is just 5% of your total grade mm. but uh, <coughs> it permeates you know, it's everywhere legal ethics is everywhere regardless of what kind of lawyer you will become what kind of fields you will be practicing in legal ethics is always there and it, it can determine whether you will continue to practice. Yeah. Because it's something that, it's a, it's a continuing requirement. requirement. Yes. Yes. Just because you become a lawyer doesn't mean that you can do whatever you like without any con- consequences. No, it's a continuing requirement that you must possess until, until perhaps when you pass away. As you've mentioned, I am currently a student in your problem areas in legal ethics class. Now, what I've always noticed with your lectures is that you always refer to the act of taking up a case of a client as panabang, hmm. which in uh, Ilongo, I believe, means to defend. Or, or to help. Or to help. Oh, tabang. Oh, tabang, panabang. So, why do you use this specific word as panabang? Because you use it very deliberately and definitively. Well, I really don't know. Uh, there is a similar word in in Tagalog, manananggol. Mm. No, tanggol is also to help, which is of course different from manananggal. No, so so that I suppose uh, panabang mm. and uh, manananggol no are are old terms no which I have been hearing ever since I was small, and I think I'm not the only one who uses those terms. No, nagapanabang, no, uh, because basically that is what lawyers do. Uh, we we help, no, but uh, well, to be frank about it, it's not just lawyers who help. All of all of us, whether or not we are engaged in any of the professions, are supposed to help. Not just our fellow man, but our society and our country as well. But perhaps for one reason or another, the term is now. Uh, uh, refers exclusively to lawyers, uh, as well as mananang gol in in Tagalog. So why is it important for more people to become lawyers today? Uh, well, I think it is more important for more people to be more conscious of the things that happen around them, which may or may not affect them directly. But not everybody can become lawyers. Mm. Uh, I always tell my students that not everybody who wants to become a lawyer will become a lawyer. Not everybody who deserves to be a lawyer will become a lawyer. And not everybody who becomes a lawyer deserves to be a lawyer. That is why we have problem areas in legal <laughs> ethics. No? Uh, but for me, there is a need for more lawyers, and not just more lawyers, but lawyers who have their hearts in the right mm. place because lawyers, whether or not they are in government service, are engaged in public service. 
even us who are not in government, are also engaged in public service when we become uh, litigators. When as we officers of the clients. court. Yes, as officers of the court, when we represent clients in court. No, we, we also assist in the administration of justice. We are part of the pillars of the justice system in the country. Of course, if you will remember, um, Justice Hardilesa no, said that uh, no, there is a saying that the justices of the Supreme Court are the gods of Padre Faura. Mm. And when I teased him about that, he said, he is not a god, he is an ilonggong erehe. No? And then because he said we, sh we must uh, disabuse ourselves of that uh, term and of its connotations. So, uh, I am not saying that only lawyers have the monopoly of legal knowledge. So, so if the Supreme Court justices are not the gods of Padre Faura, lawyers are not the high priests of Padre mm. Faura. What I am saying, however, is that, for example, if you are sick, you go to a doctor. Now, if you have a, uh, you want to have a house constructed, you go to an architect or engineer. If you want to have your motor vehicle repaired, you go to you go to an expert. Mm. So every all of us have opinions. No, if you are sick, I'm not a doctor, but I'll tell you you can do this, do that. But I'm not an expert. Mm. So it depends upon you now if you will follow my advice or if you will go to an expert who is trained mm. to give you that advice, and that is what lawyers are. Uh, some people will say that, you know, all we do is talk and talk and talk. Yes. Everybody can And talk. lie. <laughs> we lie for a living, they say, no? no? Uh, but, no, if we talk, it is because we have studied for how many years, no, to learn all of these things. So, so the preparation uh, that came before we give our opinions is what gives our opinion uh, more weight, no? So that's it. Actually, uh, this, this puts me, this brings me to an interesting point because my former, or my old uh, legal method professor from the UP College of Law, uh, attorney John Molo once told me that uh, a lot of people, and I've heard this many times from many professors, uh, they say that uh, being a lawyer in the Philippines is about the only uh, profession, the attorney is the only title left that when you say it, you get instant respect. And uh, a lot of people have uh, tried to tell you, you know, you should finish law school, you mm -hmm. should become a lawyer, mm -hmm. so that you get instant respect mm -hmm. and all those things. But he's always uh, tried to tell us that being a lawyer is not actually that special. Okay. Like, he even goes on to say that uh, it's not like it's rocket science or anything. You know, learning the law is supposed to be a language of the layman, it's supposed to be understood by everybody. It's true. So the way that we're doing it is uh, when we uh, put lawyers on a pedestal, it's a mistake. He even goes so far as to say that lawyers should be viewed as commodities, mm -hmm. that we're just regular things that you can avail of. It's a service that we provide. And it's something that we do uh, as part of our duty. We should view ourselves as duty-bound mm -hmm. by our code of professional responsibility, code of legal ethics, judicial ethics for judges. But, the, but as far as the layman is concerned, they should uh, just look at us as services that they can uh, avail of. Mm -hmm. And nothing more. We're just people. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the, the way we... 
when you're referring to Attorney John Molo, I think you're referring to one of the counsel in the ongoing anti-terrorism yes, law yes. petitions in the Supreme Court. No, and I like the way he he discusses his points. And uh, his observation is uh, something I share. In fact, uh, when I am out of the courtroom, I do not identify myself as a lawyer. Like, like uh, when we, we uh, when we came inside this venue, mm. the first thing we did downstairs was to write our name on the contact list. I wrote my name. I did not put attorney so and so. I mean, what for? Mm. No? In fact, three days ago, I was in the hospital for a certain series of tests, and the first thing they did was to give me a form for me to write my personal information. And then, while the doctor was interviewing me, no, she said, "Sir, ano imo profession?" I said, "I'm a lawyer." Oh, attorney, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So I was wondering why she was apologizing to me, no. And then her tone became a little softer. She said, "Doc, what's the problem? <laughs> what's the problem?" So now, as to commodities, now uh, the the view is also good. Mm. In, in fact, it should not apply just to lawyers, but to all professions. But to all professions. One of the things that uh, uh, I have said to some of my students is that the goal of a lawyer who is true to the ethics of his profession is to work in order to ensure that his profession becomes irrelevant. Mm. No? So what does that mean? It means that if a lawyer is irrelevant, it means that everybody does not need the services of the lawyer mm. because everybody will follow the rules. But of course, that is utopia. <laughs> and I don't think that is realistic. But then that is still a nice goal mm. no? to make yourself irrelevant. Because, well, we have to be frank about it. There are some lawyers who thrive when there is... Uh, Chaos. Yes, uh, when there is disputes, because that is how they they become relevant. That is how they become relevant. So again, it's a matter of mindset. It's a matter of mindset. So you think that we should take that out of uh, the motivation to be a lawyer? Because uh, a lot of people right now are only becoming a lawyer for the title alone, not necessarily for for the uh, amount of help that they can give, or the public service, or the craft. So, so yeah. that means their heart would not be in the right place. We have we have to to recognize that there are some people who want to become lawyers because of the benefits it will give to them. Mm. Uh, they do not see their obligation to society, and perhaps that is only human. In 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 fact, there is uh, I know of a lawyer who doesn't practice, and before this person became a lawyer. Uh, her her pre-law degree was accountancy and she's a CPA she does not practice accountancy now she's a lawyer she does not practice accountancy because what she does is to concentrate on their family business mm. so you have this type of person now who wants to study for perhaps personal fulfillment, personal enrichment, with no intention of abusing mm. any of the privileges that mm. may come with the profession. 
I told her next time you should study medicine, <laughs> you know, since you have all of the spare time. <laughs> so, so, so you know, the motivations of persons who go to law school who become mm. lawyers are very varied. Mm. You know? So, hopefully, you no, know, we will be able to uh, produce in our law school lawyers who are not just uh, uh, consistent with our Augustinian values, but also with with the the very least common sense. There's a topic that I wanted to save until later on, but I think we're going into it now. There, with lawyers, uh, a lot of, because of uh, the training that we've had and the laws that we've learned, uh, we understand how things should be in, mm-hmm. in a, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And because of this, we, because of this, sometimes I... I just oppose it to being cursed with knowledge. <laughs> so when you are cursed with knowledge, you see all the injustices that happen around you. Yes. And because if you see injustices that happen around you, you a regular decent person would normally say, hey, stop that. Mm-hmm. At the very least, right? Mm-hmm. Which makes us some of the most vocal critics of a government yes. or the most uh, active frontliners against injustices. Mm-hmm in, around, and by, and of the government. Mm -hmm. Recently, there has been uh, a lot of danger surrounding lawyers, and you have personally given us a very heartfelt talk about this. And uh, one of our uh, uh, brothers in the legal profession have been attacked recently, rather savagely Mm -hmm. even. Yeah. And uh, I know that you have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think you're referring to attorney A.K. Gillian, uh, who is uh, our alumnus in the College of Law in San Agustin. He is also our fellow alumnus in UP Visayas. Mm. And uh, he is also my fellow alumnus in the UP High School. Mm. So he was never my student in law school. However, I was the student of his uncle, attorney Jamon Gillian. Mm. So, even though he was never under me, you know, it, it, uh, what happened to him? Uh, well, uh, I guess many of us here in Iloilo took it personally. Be- not just because uh, if it could be done to him, it could be done to us also. Uh, but aside from that personal aspect, it's also institutional, it's also professional. Uh, you know, uh, as, as students of the law, we advocate the rule of law. The process is part of the outcome. You know? The end justifies the means. You know, that's mm-hmm. not that. Although the interesting thing about that quote attributed to Machiavelli, mm-hmm. you know, the end justifies the means, is that he was actually advocating the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know? But then some people misunderstand it. Like Shakespeare, Shakespeare's uh, Let's Kill All the Lawyers. You know? So anyway, you no. Know, Part, the basic, no, not just part, but the basic ingredient of the rule of law is that the process is part of the outcome. Even if you get what you want, but you got it through... uh, Questionable means. Questionable means, yes. Then you really did not win anything. And eventually you will lose whatever it is that you gain. We have, however, also to recognize that sometimes our clients really are unconcerned mm. or unaware about the process because all they want is the outcome. So that is also part of our obligation to teach them, to instruct them about the process mm. because 
at the end of the day, it is also uh, in their favor if we faithfully observe the process. So that's what happened to Attorney Gillian. You know, he was not doing anything illegal. You know, he was advocating the rights of his clients based on the ethics of the profession, based on the rules of court. But then some people apparently want to shortcut the process. Uh, want to scare people, you know, including his fellow students mm. of the law. Question is, what do we do now? No. What do we do now? So, so that's the hanging question. It's actually a shared uh, fear and shared danger that journalists have had. And uh, we've had uh, uh, our editor-in-chief, uh, Francis Alanangelo, here for, another, for an episode where he does talk about the same dangers that we face. And it's kind of uh, a shared uh, characteristic that lawyers, loud, fight for fight for injustice, fight against injustice. Mm -hmm. Journalists also loud, sometimes fight against injustice. Sure. So there is uh, similarities in characteristics, similarities in dangers, and similarities in fate, yes. somewhat. So it's important to me as well, not being as I am currently in both worlds, that it affects me on a personal level that maybe double the Of course, danger. yes. And yeah, as a student of the law and also and as a journalist. Yes. No, and that's the problem nowadays because for some people, if you do not agree with them, then they consider you as a threat. Mm. For me, there is nothing wrong with that. As long as the proper procedure is followed. If you consider me a threat, then go to court. No? File a case against me and prove your case rather than, you know, employing devious means, extra legal means mm. to get your point across. And then what? No? That, that's always, that's always the, the, the question at the end of the day. And then what? Mm. You may get what you want on the short term, but it's, the game still continues. The process still continues. So, so you know, short term victory, but long, the long term effects are still uh, up in the air. Here. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just uh, uh, if uh, there are people who would uh, look at uh, us, especially the both of us right now. We're both uh, alumni, uh, alum, alumni of uh, of uh, UP Visayas. Again, you know, people from UP graduate from UP always, always. Oh yes. Troublemakers. Yes. <laughs> Again, another topic that uh, our editor in chief and I discussed. Uh, but the way I look at it is, uh, even with the danger. And uh, if, if it's double for me, then the nobler the profession for me. Mm -hmm. Because uh, if you still continue to serve and still continue to fight, uh, especially with what happened to Attorney Gillian, mm -hmm. even more so that you will be celebrated as a person and even more so that your actions will be celebrated. So I really hope that he continues his fight and I really wish him well with his yeah, recovery. I do. I also pray for that. And I also pray not just for our lawyers and our law students, but also for our journalists. Uh, nobody wants to get killed. No? Nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody wants to be threatened. But sometimes there are things that we really need to do. Uh, of course, we who are in the legal and journalistic fields have certain codes of ethics which guide us in the way we practice our professions. Mm. 
But sometimes the people who are against us are not bound by any codes. Mm. No limits. Yes. So how now do we defend ourselves against uh, a person or persons who are unconstrained mm. by any rules? We are rule-bound because, you know, rule of law. Mm. Uh, and then here comes some... I mean, they should be bound, they but should be. they choose not to. Yes, they should be. Uh, what what encourages them no, to go beyond the rule of law, to violate the rule of law? What empowers them? What makes no, impunity? Mm. No, ano, impune? <laughs> it's a culture that's been built. That's right. Mm. So... I think it's on. It's with that message, the the hope for all of us to continue fighting mm-hmm. against this culture of impunity. Yes. I think uh, it's on that message that we can let the audience simmer a bit, and then we can go to a break. Okay. So welcome back on Coffeinated. Today here with our guest, Dean Jose Mariterol of the USA College of Law and attorney Jose Mariterol of the Philippine legal system. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Dean, uh, to shift gears here a little bit, we have a uh, photo context segment where <laughs> we dive into your social media. We show you the photos, we show the audience the photos, and you give us a little bit more context and story okay. behind the photo. Okay. Now, uh, we're going to talk about another topic that we could not find the photo of, but uh, I will still <laughs> ask you regardless. Alright. So, the first photo is this one. Oh, okay. Uh, every year, well, except during this COVID mm. time, we have a, uh, an acquaintance party mm. for all of our students in the College of Law, which is also at the same time uh, a recognition or a bonfire for our new lawyers. Mm. So I believe that wa- that was the bonfire uh, in the year 2019 mm. because we did not have an acquaintance party last year because of COVID. So so it's also a way for our new lawyers to pass on the torch mm. to the law students. Mm. Okay, so it's symbolic in that sense. Yeah, like that. All right. Here's your next photo, Dean. Alright, I think that is in Jollibee, mm. uh, in Dapitan, no? uh, outside of the UST campus, during one of the Sundays of the bar examinations. Because uh, we have the so-called bar operations to assist our bar candidates, our graduates who are taking the bar exam. So our bar operations organization organizes this, so every Sunday of November, no, the bar exams are held in USD, so they go there, our students go there starting Saturday, and then they come back here on Monday morning. So that is on one of the Sundays. I think that is on the fourth Sunday. And uh, I've heard stories that this this branch of Jollibee is... Uh, it's closed. Mm. Yeah, it's closed, but I heard that it is now open for them. Mm. 
the owners of the lot and the building are now offering it for rent. Which is a little sad because uh, it holds memories to a lot of bar takers yeah. of the University of San Agustin. Yeah. And the interesting thing about the Jollibee branch is that the ground floor is open to the general public. When you go to the second floor, that is in the second mm. floor, the second floor is shared by four law schools. Mm. Four law schools. So we carve out our <laughs> places there. So, uh, and then the third floor is occupied by another law school. Mm. So you can just imagine how, how noisy it is. But, but I don't think that this situation will be repeated again because the bar exams will now be regionalized. Mm. So it won't be in Manila only. So we, we, we most probably will have a bar exam site here in Iloilo. Alright, for your next photo, Dean, it is this one. Oh, okay. Well, that's my present profile picture <laughs> in Facebook. That was done by my son, mm. uh, Mio. Mm. Uh, so I found it very funny. How old is Mio? He's now 11. I think he did that uh, four years ago. The, the, uh, the likeness is... Uh, yeah, including the eyebrows. It's uncanny. <laughs> <laughs> including the eyebrows and the forehead. <laughs> <laughs> and here's uh, a funny one that I think is pretty good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it has a lot of elements, not just uh, the shirt. The yeah. fact that you're firing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I used to do that when I had no children yet because, you know, that hobby is quite expensive. <laughs> so now, uh, you know, it's also expensive to have children. Mm. Well, Which hobby is uh, better? <laughs> <laughs> well, having children is, you know, something that money cannot buy. But it's quite, uh, you know, it's an investment mm. also. I consider it an investment. And well, that shirt, I got it from an ukay, -ukay store. <laughs> So, genius by birth and slacker by choice. Would you consider yourself to be a slacker? Yeah, but In I, some I wouldn't consider myself to be a genius. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't ask that question because I assumed that you would be a genius. And here's our second to the last photo. Oh, uh, yeah, that was in Barcelona. Mm. And, well, I think you could read the, the name of the store. Here's a, uh, an interesting uh, tidbit about you that I, I've been to three law schools, so I've known three deans. Uh, most deans, in, uh, the deans in both law schools that I've been to prior to the University of San Agustin, they, have, they, were, they had this mysticism to them. Like almost that uh, as students, we could not talk to them. We could not interact with them because they were the dean. Mm -hmm. This dean essentially held your life or your future in their hands. That was the way that the, they were viewed and the way that they were spoken of. Even in their speeches, they always talked about the majesty of law school. Mm -hmm. But uh, what I found, or what many students of law school, even Angela, who is not yet here right now, uh, would find is that uh, you are very funny <laughs> and very uh, sociable, personable, approachable. So that's why we chose this photo to show this side of you. Well, I was, I before I was dean, uh, so I became dean in November of 2013. Mm. I was even more sociable, mm. uh, but well, perhaps because of the work and the responsibilities, and you know, you also need to look and act and behave in a certain way. I mm. beca I became 
less non-serious. No? And in fact, one of my former students said, I am no longer funny. I don't know what that means. <laughs> no? I don't know what that means. But I, I, you know, I suppose you have you know, part of the job, I suppose, mm. to, to, to not be too close or too chummy with the students. Uh, except uh, when the uh, occasion calls for it. Uh, uh, we've been to many of the parties of the College of Law and I think uh, you've seen me in those parties and I let my hair down, so to speak, mm. uh, during those parties. Not much, not by much. Yeah, because I don't have... <laughs> no, but, Let's but, not talk about hair. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, that that's uh, what we do. Uh, 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 in the social occasions, but when you get back to class, then you know, it, the, the dynamic is different. Mm. And many of uh, my former professors in the law school were also like that. Mm. You know, it's, it's all business in the classroom, but outside, you know, it's, it's less uh, structured. I actually found that system to be, I've appreciated that system because uh, like the, there are gods of Padre Faura, there are so-called well, sometimes God, sometimes the demons of Malcolm Hall, oh, for nice. example. <laughs> like we never get, we never, almost never got to interact with uh, our professors outside of the classroom. The classroom. So it's a good way to see that they're people, right? They're people. Yes. yes. So I kind of like that. But for our last photo, Dean, for this segment, it's this one. Oh, that's the Dean Emeritus. That's my father, and uh, that was taken in Boracay. Uh, we had just come back from Katiklan because there's a, a municipal trial court station in Katiklan. We had just come back from Katiklan and we were dissecting the case uh, that we had appeared in. So over a few bottles of beer. What does it mean to you to be able to work with your father like this? Well, before I worked with him, I was his student in the law school. Oh, I was his student in the law school. And in fact, I was talking to one of my classmates in law school uh, two weeks ago. And he said that there was a time when we were at the corridor of Rada, mm. of Rada Hall in San Agustin. And we had just come out of uh, one of the periodic examinations that we had under my father. And my classmate said that when my father came out of the classroom, I told him, Pa, ano man to yung exam mo man? No? And then I said, I cannot remember that anymore. So, because his exam was really hard. Mm. And when I got home, well, because at that time I was also staying with my parents, he did not say anything to me about what I said to him mm. in San Agustin. So, I suppose no, the, the working, the teaching, and the mentoring uh, continues until now because until now I still occasionally consult him about my cases and I show to him my pleadings before I finalize them because you know the practice of law mm. will never be perfected yes no? it's, it's, it's a lifelong learning process so no? mentoring and occasionally tormenting <laughs> is part of the it's part of the equation uh, actually, the way I look at it is, is like uh, you always used to have this story about uh, how old your father is. Just to put it into context, like yes. about his uh, the the roll number, I think. 
Yes. Like, can you tell us that story now for the benefit of our audience? Okay. Uh, when you become a member of the bar of the Philippines, in, in order for you to become a lawyer, it is not, not enough for you to pass the bar exams. Because that's just the first thing that you must do. After that, you must qualify to take your oath as a lawyer. So it's not automatic that if you pass the bar, you will be allowed to take the oath. Because some are not allowed to take the oath. So after you pass the bar, you take the oath, and then the last thing that you do is just to sign the role of attorneys. Only then will you become a full-fledged lawyer. When you sign the role of attorneys, you are assigned a role number. Mm. So it's, it's like your personal number. In UP, it's your student number, which you carry with you until, you know, it's, it's yours, it's unique. But just don't make it your pin. Yes. <laughs> you know? So when I became a lawyer in 1999, you know, I was assigned role number 43352, which meant that I was the 43,000 something, something, something lawyer. Uh, the newest lawyers now, their role number is... Uh, Almost 80,000. My father became a lawyer in 1956, and his role number consists of four digits only, uh, which begins with the number nine. I cannot remember the mm. rest. So he became a lawyer in 1956, and he's been a lawyer for 65 years, mm. you know, practicing, teaching, you know, and he's you know, still practicing still for 65 years. So I think that is the story that you were yeah, referring yeah. to. So quite you know he's been a lawyer for almost three times my entire life <laughs> if, if 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 people become senior citizens when they reach the age of 60 mm. he's been teaching law practicing law as a senior citizen as, he's now a senior lawyer senior citizen lawyer so as far as law schools go and you being a student of your father way back when uh, law school recitations are actually quite the treasure trove of funny stories, embarrassments, especially for students who are ill-prepared for class and ill-prepared for the questions, mm -hmm. like me at times. So I've been one of those students at some points in time. Can you tell us a few of your stories of maybe experiences as a student maybe or as a teacher uh, conducting recitation? Well, there was one time when I was conducting a recitation and then the student cried. So I had to stop. Mm. I said, let's take a break. And then after we resumed, after five minutes, uh, she was okay, but she was, uh, well, she was just looking down. So, so that, was, that is one thing that I always remember. You know, that uh, we, all, we uh, as teachers also need to be conscious about uh, how our students feel, you know, because we are supposed to be teaching, uh, and you know the way we teach will also affect or have an impact on whether or not our students learn. Mm. So, so yeah, for me, I have no fixed uh, rule. That I need to do this. I need to do that. It really depends on the situation. It really depends on the situation. As long as the, the goal is reached, you no. Know, uh, the process really depends, no? Especially now with uh, with the virtual yeah, yeah. classes right now, with with the connectivity mm. issues, so so that is also something that we need to consider. I find this uh, very refreshing because uh, I've had experiences in the past where 
a student, a classmate of mine cried in middle of class uh, out of just you know the intense amount of pressure, mm. the amount of things that you have to read, and then once you get to the class, mo, uh, we have the term mabusan kabala. Mm-hmm. So if you run out of cases, and then they call the sixteenth case, and uh, I say sixteenth because I that once happened to me. But what happened to my friend was she was crying in the middle of recitation, mm-hmm. and then our professor at the time for criminal law too, she just said, compose yourself. And then if you're crying, you can't just you know stop. Mm-hmm. And then my professor threw a chalk at her. And then told her, uh, your tears will not save you. So compose yourself. Mm-hmm. And then your, your, if your client cries, you can cry. Something like that. So it was a teaching moment per se. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the time, we all just hated our professor. So there are moments like that. And then you can juxtapose it to how things are being taught elsewhere. And it's like, maybe some support and empathy at the time would have been better. I agree. Uh, that's why I personally do not subscribe to being a terror teacher mm. because uh, you know it's it's if you learn something because you are forced to do so mm. then you know that will affect not just your memory but also your appreciation of what you learn in contrast to if you learn something because you want to mm. do so because you you you, you desire or you, you are inspired to do so, then, you know, the good memories will will, yes. will also affect how you interpret what you just learned. And it affects your outlook on your practice of law. Yes, yes. Yes, yeah, especially now, no, mental health is not just yes. an issue because of COVID. It's, it's even before COVID. Mm. Uh, we are, of course, not trying to uh, baby our students yes. or even our teachers. But there has to be a balance there. There has to be a balance there. Not enough. It's not right to terrorize them. It's also not right to just baby them. It's a right mix. It's almost as if I'm airing my grievances yeah, <laughs> yeah. to the dean. <laughs> but I'll tell one more story. I'll tell one more story. <laughs> I had a professor before where uh, 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 in the beginning of class, he had a recitation. It was just the start of our first year law class. None of us knew that there was re- there were readings mm. he, because he didn't give assign us readings. Mm. He said you should have looked at the syllabus of last year. So we were like, but it's it, I thought it was orientation, right? So yes. the first year of class mm. or the first day of the first year of class. So I was class president. Then he calls me up. He says, uh, uh, "Don't you respect me?" And I said, oh, "Yes, sir. We respect you, sir." It's like, "Don't you know who I am?" Yes, sir. You you are this professor. Oh, is that what you call me out there? Don't I have any other names now? There are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the four horsemen of Malcolm Hall. So they they call you Death, sir. It's like, and then he's like, so you do know who I am. So he has that story, and then the next meeting, and we do the recitation. This time there's reading, and then he tells us. Uh, uh, then a lot of classmates fail because it's the first day of recitation. Yes, and then he says. Uh, you, you should prepare more. You're forcing me to teach. I'm just supposed to check if you've read the, the syllabus, if you've read the cases. Mm. And then I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess uh, you just have to do the work. Well, that is also perhaps one way of mm. teaching, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> doing nothing, but, but you know, passing on the burden to the students. But, but you know, whether or not a teacher teaches that mm. way, 
it is still it will always be the obligation of the students to also educate themselves mm. and not just depend on what the teacher says. Yes. Because you know teachers do not have the monopoly of knowledge, and I've never just like lawyers do not have the monopoly. Yes, and so it is you know sometimes the uh, when I say something in class, a student would correct me, mm. and then I would appreciate it because it means that the student is reading and paying attention. You know, he is prepared for class. And, you know, sometimes I get my facts wrong or, or you know, I misinterpret things. But that's, you know, that's one way also to, to check. Sometimes I do it deliberately. You know? <laughs> so, so as to check if the students are really paying attention. But sometimes we're afraid to correct the dean. <laughs> Don't be. Don't be. No. Uh, that's why I appreciate, I appreciate it when, when students do not wait to be called for resin, mm. but instead ask questions. Instead ask questions. Well, the pandemic, especially today now, has changed how not only the legal system works, but also how legal education mm-hmm. has worked. So from the conduct of class to the conduct of the comprehensive exams yes. to the conduct of the bar exams that has not yet happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is even talk now that it might not happen, but just as Leona has even said that it, it, will, it, will. it definitely will happen. Mm-hmm. So in your mind, as uh, the dean of the University of San Jose College of Law, what does the future of legal education look like? Looks like. Well, one thing that uh, 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 we have realized, no, as in the faculty, is that even if there is no more COVID, mm. virtual classes will stay. Uh, it, although right now they are the main, if not the only way by yes. which we hold classes. But when, when COVID is over, it will still stay as a supplement. Yes. Because, because sometimes, you know, one of the reasons before COVID when teachers sometimes do not hold classes is because they, they are stuck in traffic mm. and this and that. Because they are coming from out-of-town hearings. Yes. But, but with uh, the virtual uh, 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 apps that we have now, you know, that could be a thing of the past. Have to be anything of the past. Another thing, no, uh, in San Agustin, what we did uh, traditionally, if you have a course or a subject which consists of a given number of units, that is the number of contact hours you have in a week. Mm. So if you have a three-unit class, you meet for three hours a week. So what we did now is we meet for two-thirds of that, and then one-third is devoted to asynchronous or self-study yes. of the law student, which, come to think of it, is really what the study of law is all about. Yes. Because if you have an X number of hours of class in a day, your preparation is double or triple that. So, so the, the learning comes when you prepare for a class, so that when you come to class, you are ready for class. Mm. So, so perhaps that would be one of the main uh, takeaways that we have uh, in so far as legal education is concerned. How has your experience been in the conduct of the comprehensive, uh, comprehensive examinations. examinations? Well, we were very lucky because our uh, university administration allowed us to conduct a face-to-face compre exam. Uh, it was open air uh, outside of the covered courts, no? uh, beside the gym. So that there could be social distancing. Yes, yes. and uh, no need for air conditioning. No? Mm. It, was, it was open air. So we did it traditionally, they wrote down their answers, but we had a student who had a problem with her carpal tunnel, sin- mm. carpal, tunnel yes. you know, carpal tunnel, so she asked and she was allowed to answer using a laptop, which we kept 
for the duration of the mm. uh, exam. So it was good and well, so far no reports of any COVID or whatever. Mm. So we're thankful for that. So uh, as a, an interesting output here is that you have also been known to be very vocal with your well, on Facebook and many times Daily Guardians actually uh, asked you if we could report on your uh, sentiments with regard to the administration, mm -hmm. the current uh, flow of government, and how it has affected all of us. Mm -hmm. Especially now that there is an anti-red tagging law mm -hmm. and actual red tagging being done against things like the community pantry. So why is it important for you to be vocal? Well, it's important for me not just as a lawyer but mm -hmm. as a Filipino citizen to, to have a say uh, in the things that may not personally affect me Hmm. directly but indirectly affect me because these things affect my society uh, of course uh, when I post on Facebook and I'm happy that uh, the Daily Guardian occasionally reproduces what I say uh, I, I try to, to pick the language that I will use hmm. because because I uh, I try to make my sentiments known in order to contribute to the conversation instead of hurling insults yes. uh, against people who I disagree with. Keep it about the topic. Yes. Uh, be trying to be objective about it. Uh, because, you know, your my point is not to gain enemies, but rather to convince people uh, to listen to what I have to say and hopefully to agree with what I have to say. So... So the point still there is you know, to build a consensus rather than to divide the... Is there, is there a fear from you that you might be red tagged? Always. Of <laughs> Always. course. Always. No? And not, just, not just about red tagging, but mm. also about other kinds of tagging. Especially because uh, I know that many people do not agree with what I say. But, but uh, well, perhaps you know, uh, I am not... Uh, in their crosshairs mm. because uh, I think it's because of the language that I use which is I, I believe non-confrontational uh, because I stick to the issues mm. rather than to the persons so it's not about the person it's never about the person it's about the act or the current culture that's yeah. being built yeah although although sometimes the culture is about the person yes yes the personal is political <laughs> <laughs> Oh. So Dean, uh, there, here's a, here are two questions that I always ask all our guests on Coffee Nated. So first is, what does a regular day look like for you? But before uh, we continue with that, would you like another refill of your... No more, no design? more. I've already had four cups this morning. <laughs> four cups is enough. So what is my regular day today? Uh, well, because of COVID, I no longer wake up so early in order to bring the kids to school. So I wake up around 7 then I leave the house around 8. If I have a hearing that morning, then I, I wake up earlier, around 6. No? Because, well, it's, uh, there's traffic already coming from our place, going to the city. And then I, uh, I go to the office. So, or if I have meetings or out-of-the-office engagements like, like today, then, so I, I'm here. And then after this, I will go to the office and I have lunch there 
and in the afternoon I report to the College of Law. Mm. Before COVID, before COVID, I would stay in the office until around three or four in the afternoon, and then I would go to San Agustin. But now I am in San Agustin around uh, after lunch. I'm already there, and then uh, so I I am I am in school until perhaps around seven or eight, mm. and then I go home. All right. So so if anybody is hunting me, <laughs> that's my daily routine. <laughs> Maybe we'll cut that one out <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> I just got nervous there for a second. <laughs> uh, so, number two, <laughs> what are three key takeaways that you would like the audience, uh, maybe some of your students, some of the faculty, or anybody in particular to take away from you? Hmm. Three key takeaways. Okay. Uh, that's a very hard question. <laughs> well, perhaps the first thing is to never forget where you come from because uh, that will always be part of who you are and what you are. Second thing is, I really, I really don't know. That's a very hard question. <laughs> the second thing is... Uh, very seldom you will find the Dean a uh, little bit speechless. So. Can we have a five-minute break? No, 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 no. I will answer this. I will answer this. So the first thing is uh, never forget where you come from. The second thing would be never stop learning. Never stop learning. And uh, the last thing would be always to... Uh, Practice common sense. Ooh, that's a good one. First is uh, never forget never where, you, forget come where from. you come from. Never, never stop, stop learning and practice common sense. sense. I think that's it. Yeah. Normally we end it here, but I just remembered something that we didn't discuss that we were supposed to discuss that I promised we would. Discuss. The picture, not the, oh, the photo that we could not find. Oh, very good. So very, good. Uh, very interesting thing about Dean that uh, uh, a lot of people don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Is that. Uh, some 20-something years ago, he was the a contestant in UPV HASA. Now, UPV HASA is a pageant where supposedly during Dean's time, if you were, it's for straight men for, for them to pretend to be gay. Mm -hmm. I don't know now, I've never actually went to a HASA, so I'm not informed, but I've seen the highlights. So Dean was once a contestant for HASA. In 1992. 1992, so I was not yet born. Interesting. <laughs> so, so it is now 2021, no? So 2021. Almost 30 years ago. Almost 30 years ago. Oh my God, no? Almost 29 almost, years no, ago. 29, 29 years, years ago. 29 years ago. Yeah, I, I represented my academic group in UP, the Division of Social Sciences, the Red Bolts. Mm. And I'm happy to report that I was second runner-up. <laughs> yeah, I was second runner-up. Uh, the the winner that year represented the division of humanities. Mm. My good friend, uh, and his costume was he was painted all in black, and he had orange hair. Was there a theme for that year? Because now there are themes like Disney princesses, no, uh, there was, music icons. There was no theme that year. There was no theme that year. So I was second runner up. I have a trophy, but I cannot locate it anymore. What was your costume? 
are you sure you don't have photos? <laughs> one of my unless you provide us with a photo, uh, we can show. <laughs> one of my gowns was uh, gowns uh, composed of balloons, yeah. which I was supposed to prick one by one while I was walking. But well, the balloons were a little. You know, the air had come out already, mm. so they would not prick anymore. <laughs> so that was one thing. And uh, I cannot remember the others. I sup- I think that was supposed to be my swimsuit. You know, and that was the gimmick to prick them one by one when I was walking. I did not shave my armpits. I did not shave my legs. I did not have a facial hair that time. You know? And I had... The iconic Dean facial hair. I had, I had very thick makeup. Thicker than what I have now. <laughs> so I don't know what I look like. And I did not drink anything... Or take anything mm. that would alter my senses, because I said I am going to do this only once in my lifetime, and I want to remember everything. You wanted the, good, the full experience. Yes, the good and the bad. Of course, I had a few drinks after. No, <laughs> I had a few drinks after. And the host that year is the current chancellor of UP Visayas, mm. Doctor Campusano. Mm. He was the host that year. Yeah. So funny how things. Yeah. Very weird. <laughs> so I'll remind them the three key takeaways so that the, the last thing that they remember is not the fact that you joined TASA. <laughs> so the you. three key takeaways of Dean are first, uh, never forget where you came from. Second, never stop learning. And third, practice common sense. Thank you so much for Thank being you. with us here on Coffee Dean. This was a fun interview for me and uh, really, really insightful into our beloved Dean at the USA College of Law. Thank you for the coffee and thank you for this opportunity to say a few words. Thank you very much. Always funny, always candid, and surprisingly drinks four cups of coffee every morning. Good thing the show is called Coffeinated. And it's on every other Wednesday on Daily Garden's official Facebook page. It's also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you can get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Prometheus Productions. I'm Elsid, and we're at Courtyard by Marriott Iloilo. We'll catch you again next time on Coffeinated, so keep living life one coffee mug at a time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching.